I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Call it out. Welcome to yet another Spool podcast with me, Nigel Wheatley, and I'm Pork Miguel. Hello. Coming up in the next 30-odd minutes, we've got an early review of Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We break down the problems and successes with the Lion King remake, and we look back on Jim Jarmusch's small-town zombie film, The Dead Don't Die. We've also got a look at two Netflix films that may or may not be worth your attention, and two films coming out um, on to cinema screens in August. To kick us off, here's a little bit Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio doing their thing in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Just, just, just put them in the wardrobe, all right? What's it going to hurt? Then if you need them, you got them, all right? <laughs> then they got to have a conversation with that wardrobe assistant. And man, she's a bitch. I just don't. I, please. Look, I, look Rainey, I, I'm asking you to help me out, man. If the, if the answer is no, the, the answer is no. Not, not no with excuses. Hey, man. This ain't a Andy McLaughlin picture, you know? And I can't afford to hire a bunch of guys that smoke cigarettes and sit around talking to each other all day on the chance that I might use them. I got a four-man team here, Rick. If I need more than that, I got to get it approved. And, you know, I, I, I got to look after my dudes. Hey, hey, and if your dudes were a better match for me, I'd say, oh, okay, you got me. But, but, but that, that's not the case, and you know it. He, he's a great match for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no. Hey, you could do anything you want to him. Throw him off a building, right? Light him on fire. Hit him with a... Lincoln, right? Get creative. Do whatever you want. He's just he's happy for the opportunity. There we have it. Support. Uh, I've seen this. You haven't. Uh, no, it comes out know? in about two weeks. Out, yeah, I think August 14. What do you know about the plot? What do you... So Leonardo DiCaprio is a failing actor. Well, no, fading more so than failing. Um, set in Hollywood in the 70s. And it's about... This is the... great because I have it actually written down. Yeah. Right. And it's in the Manson family yeah, yeah, killings yeah. of Sharon Tate. Yeah, so that's the kind of bit that hangs around this stuff. I, I don't know whether in the marketing and stuff they alluded to the fact that this is a little bit of a Tarantino's revisionist history idea where he goes back and looks at a key event in Hollywood. Um, he, he I heard that see... term revisionist. And is it revisionist in the sense of the way Inglorious Bastards is with Hitler? Uh, it could be. Okay. But like, I, don't I know, know you don't want to give spoilers. No, exactly. So I don't, it's not retelling. Like he's not a real character. So therefore they're inserting him into a real No, but it's not as world. if. Anyway, Tate yeah, we'll doesn't... see. Okay. Well, we'll see what, what goes on with it because maybe it's inverted. We don't know all okay. the politics, but exactly. So, uh, so it's centered on a declining Western uh, kind of actor. Does a lot of cowboy stuff kind of based. Uh, he's a TV actor, Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who we heard there talking with Kurt Russell um, as a director. And then, Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, is his stunt double. And they're just trying to stay relevant. It's 1969, so you were almost relevant there. So Easy Rider has come out. The whole, what we see as a golden era of Hollywood has ended. And it's into the... What's the book? Fa- Easy Riders and Raging, Raging Bulls. Bulls. Yeah. So my favorite decade of cinema um, is 1970s American cinema. So we're at the cusp of that. And they're just there. These kind of washed up people. Um, near... So he's Rick kind of Dalton. like a John Wayne figure, but not as big, maybe? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he's doing lots of guest spots on TV um, and just trying to stay relevant. Uh, anyway, this young, um, hot director by the name of Roman Polanski has moved in uh, across, sort of across the way from where Rick is with his um, wife, Sharon Tate. And so we spend a little bit of time with them and, you know, he kind of wants, uh, Rick sort of admires this, oh, he's the guy who directed Rosemary's Baby. That's cool. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to be him. But in reality, 
we spend a huge part of this film just watching Rick and Cliff just kind of watching TV. There's bits of flashback. It's sort of, um, it's just great. You know, it's very nice in that kind of way. It's like a weird buddy movie. Yeah, a buddy movie, but with minimal, minimal plot. Like it could be 20 minutes long, but they stretch it into two hours 40 in a perfectly good way because it's it kicks off in two, with um, two days in February 1969 and then jumps forward six months to August 1969, mm. which is when the weekend yeah. of does anybody, the killings. Does anybody, does anyone of note play Polanski? Uh, I think it's Emil, Emil Hirsch from Into, oh, the, okay. Into the Wild. I think, I hope I have that right. Or I actually may have that wrong it's someone who kind of he's he's not around as much as as he could yeah because i only that only dawned on me the Emil other day a friend when i was like oh polanski isn't the kind of person you want to really be he's not very of the moment yeah in the but, current climate but tarantino yeah and you kind of that's exactly kind of it with with tarantino so he obviously clearly loves this decade in cinema it's like a love letter Again, that's another one we need to overuse phrases, but he's rebuilt Sunset Boulevard and it's, you know, the production design on it is phenomenal. Builds all these sets up to just look like what What's Hollywood looked like in that time. Soundtrack is really good because it's basically like Grand Theft Auto where you mostly see the two of them driving around in cars, turning on music. So you get all pop um, music Fair and, the, dogs, com- kinda. Yeah, and yeah. the commercials of the time. So like exactly what it was like to live there. So um, I really liked it. I d- again, don't want to go into too much detail about it. Um, I think you're giving it a four. It's a four and a half. Oh. But again, saw the saw the screening in a nice setting and everything like that. Um, to me, it's it's stronger than the Hateful Eight and the best thing he's done in a while. Don't really want I to feel there, just from seeing the trailers, I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh, it's his Jackie Brown again, or he's back on form, or I don't know." Yeah. So I think it's something that you have to see. It was great because I I suppose with me, I'm not a like I'm not a, a student, if you like, of the the whole Manson family and all that, and a lot of people know a lot about that, so they'll be watching it in a certain way and looking out for certain people. But with me, I just the roughly, Beatles in it roughly well. know what happens. The Beatles are not there. There's a mention for Dennis Wilson because he's meant to be the person who was living in the house, uh, maybe when Charles Manson went. Apparently, Meatloaf as well has a story that where he thinks he was so stoned one time that he basically drove Manson around for like a week. Okay. Um, yeah. So okay, that's cool. that's yeah. kind of it. But anyway, it's out in two weeks. Um, I don't want to go into too much. What was in the it. sound like? In it's the out Stella? in America now. Uh, dialogue was challenging in the opening fifteen minutes. Um, Al Pacino plays a character called Marvin Schwartz. He he is adamant that he's not pronounced Schwartz. It's like Schwartz. You can call me Marvin. Okay. Um, it's good to see. It's a bit of, like he, he's good in it, but um, very hard to follow his lines. He's only in it very sporadically at the beginning. He plays um, he plays an agent for Rick telling him not to, you know, he needs to push himself up, go to Italy, play, you know, get into some spaghetti westerns, get a bit of critical mass going on. Um, I saw a couple of people tweeting, are any cinemas showing it on 35mm? And both the IFI and the Lighthouse were like, yeah, we are. So did he not shoot it on 70 um, I guess I wondered, yeah, because the, the way they were asking, I was like, oh, I wonder, was this a thing where he's gone for 35? Yeah, which would be probably more fitting of that era and stuff. But look, this is, the, the, it's kind of chauvinistic. It's kind of very meandering. It's very plot light. There's a lot wrong with it. And yet that is what modern day Tarantino is. It's, it feels kind of personal to, to him. Like it's his vision of what that time was like. Um, and that for him was the end mm. of that era. Like when the hippies kind of thing went yeah. too far 
um, you know, the killings happen and then all of a sudden the decade ends a couple of months. Later. So it's very much a line mm. in the sand for that before and Vietnam going on. Yeah, the background qualified that, so yeah. during the week saying like Kill Bill part one and two is actually the one film. So I actually can do two more films or some shite. I kind of can't but wait all the for his like. The, ninth. the yeah, Hateful Eight was the eighth film. Yeah, okay. so I can't wait for his ploy to get around doing more films. Like, will anyone really care if he does more than ten? I think it I would be fine. So. Yeah, I, like, but I, I was chatting about this yesterday. Like he's, I do think he's the only one where remaining where people will be like, I have to go and do whatever. I drop everything. There's an opportunity to see the new film from. Yeah, he's one like of his few, name just like, carries that weight. Yeah, possibly if David Lynch followed up Inland Empire with his first feature in fourteen mm. years, maybe. Or like, yeah, maybe if, you if would Cameron go and Spielberg see. And, yeah, but you, know. you wouldn't. You catch them in whenever. Like, you're not going to like try to win a competition to go to a showing or something. Mm. But You'd that's probably very them. true of our age, though. Like, I don't yeah. know if my dad could give a shit about Quentin Tarantino. And likewise, students don't give a damn about yeah. either. So he's he's kind of a very specific um, demographic of the kind of 30 to to 45s who kind of idolise him and forgive yeah. him for all his sort of weird chauvinistic kind of thing. Um, all yeah. his but, fetishes. Yeah. Brad Pitt's brilliant. Looks great. And uh, and all that. Uh, Leo, again, it's just nice to see him push himself. Yeah. But again, it's sort of just... You should have a look online anything. if you're listening. There was a nice uh, infographic how Leo does not date any woman over 25. It's yeah. this nice graph where he's constantly getting older and as soon as a woman hits 25, he's like, next. Yeah, he um, yeah, and has never worked with female directors or anything like that as well. So anyway, look, we, we forgive these people their things. Um, there's an amazing supporting cast in the film. So just lots of uh, faces that you'll recognize. Um, another film. That was Kurt Russell in the clip. Kurt Russell, Lena Denham is in there. Uh, there's cameos from like, Damien Lewis, uh, Bruce Lee is in there. Someone playing Bruce Lee, obviously. Um, I'm not even going to list all the things, but there's a lot of very familiar faces. Bruce Dern is in there. Uh, Michael Madsen plays a little bit. Um, yeah, lots of faces. Brilliant. So Tim, can Tim we... Roth is it? Can I is it? Can I give it like a tiny spoiler that's not a spoiler? Okay. In that it's not a spoiler. In the credits at the end, it says Tim Roth bracket cut. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, that's funny. Um, I hope that's not a spoiler. Someone will be like, "Right, turn around." Anyway, yeah. uh, the the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will hit cinemas in thirty five millimeter and uh, D DFP in uh, two weeks' time, fourteenth of August, I think. Can't wait. Looking yeah. forward to it. So, anyway, supporting cast, another film with a very very strong cast: Jim Jarmusch, The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, so it's the latest film from Jim Jarmusch. Uh, it's kind of following on from he did a film about the Stooges, which I didn't see. Um, the same year Patterson came out, which was a spool film of the year. I think we both loved it. Kind of got mixed reviews. People Adam thought Driver, it was a bit boring. Yeah. Bus Driver. So it's kind of uh, and only lovers left alive. He did that too. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, he's done Jim Jarmusch has done lots of films. No, I know that. I'm just trying yeah. to think of his recent output. It's a, oh he, yeah, only lovers an, loved maybe alive. Maybe he's an author who we drop everything to see. But seemingly his film about the students that we don't know about. No, yeah. Well, the Iggy Pop documentary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't the, see documentary. That. Yeah. Doesn't count. Sorry. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So it's a very Jim Jarmusch film. Give me um, shelter. Kind of has no. It wasn't called that because I looked it up on IMDb. Okay. And that's their own stones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And uh, so it's a very Jim Jarmusch film. It has kind of all his cast. It's got Bill Murray, who plays Chief Cliff. Adam Driver, as Nigel mentioned, is his kind of like deputy other uh, police officer. And rounded out is Chloe Sevigny, who plays Mindy. So they're kind of just the like local police department of uh, Centerville or Middle America, if you will. And it basically is 
the town is attacked by zombies and it's in such a low-key uh unremarkable way which kind of lends its humor like the first instance of a zombie attack is a diner gets attacked by iggy pop who's a zombie and they eat and destroy everyone and then when bill murray and adam driver come across the scene they're like bill murray's kind of freaking out being like what do you think it is and adam driver's like i think it's zombies and it's just so deadpan and just like this isn't going to end well no it's um the film kind of overall is a bit of a disappointment. There's lots of it that, that I loved about it. I love the whole tone of it. I think there's certain lines in it that are hilarious. Like Adam Driver comes in and discovering the body. It's kind of a running joke where they all pull up in their different cars. And there's a hilarious sight gag of um, Adam Driver in a smart car convertible. And he's like seven foot in this tiny wee car. He goes in and sees all the zombies everywhere and just goes, oh, yuck. And I was like, that's hilarious. Um... Tom Waits is kind of rampling around in the background as um, Hermit Bob is the character name, but he's kind of almost like a narrator of the film and like a Father Earth. You know, Steve Buscemi's wearing a version of a Trump Make America Great Again. I think it says Make America White Again as he's having a conversation with Danny Glover. Um, so it's not like it's kind of hitting you over the head with what it's trying to say, but there's lots of plot holes. It's not as funny as it's thinks it is and there's a weirdly odd thing where um yeah it is definitely a disappointment yeah but Sturgill Simpson is kind of a hipster did you know who Sturgill Simpson yeah, is yeah but only How? from listening to certain podcasts that oh, he's yeah. been on so he's kind yeah. of like a real cool hipster Nashville country and western singer but he like he has street cred but he's still just a country singer yeah yeah exactly but he's like a cool one and he does the song for it uh the dead don't die and it's on the radio all the time and Bill Murray's like, oh, that sounds familiar. And Adam Driver's like, yeah, it's the, it's the theme song. <laughs> so they totally break the fourth wall that they're like, well, we're in a film. And there's another point when it's like Adam Driver's like, yeah, well, I read the screenplay. And Bill Murray's like, Jim didn't show me it. He just showed me the scenes we were in. So that kind of doesn't, like, that's funny in its own right, but it doesn't really work, you know? And it's kind of, uh, we just hear the, the, the dead don't die coming in there. Um, yeah, so parts, it was kind of really disappointing overall because the film looked great, but he just kind of has disappeared up his own Jim Jarmusch butthole, kind of. No, you saw it too. What do you think of Um Yeah, I was kind of disappointed, but entertained enough. But like, I think it was like two and a half, maybe at a push three stars. Um, yeah, I was, but when it finished, I was very much like, oh, I guess I, I felt like it was just going to be doing something more than it actually Yeah, and was. Tilda Swinton has kind of a weird character in it where she's an undertaker, but then turns into, don't want to spoil it, this whole other thing that's just like, don't really know what Do that's spoil going it. about. She turns into an alien and yeah. sort of like zips up into the sky. And, you're and like, then you make a point where there's this... Uh, there's an asylum, a group of kids. Yeah, um, and then they disappear and there's nothing kind of said about them. There's a really good appearance by Caleb Landry-Jones, uh, who people will know from the third season of Twin Peaks. Uh, he plays a character in that and he's kind of cropping up in a lot of these type of films. So it's, he was the newspaper boy in... Three billboards outside uh, Missouri. Missouri. Yeah, he kind of plays the guy who's thrown out a window. Yeah. He's very good. So, um, kind of wait for it to come out on, uh, uh, you know, probably he's left the cinema and might be playing in your area, but worth the luck. It kind just of on felt, Netflix or something. yeah, a little bit of a disappointment for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, my main plot hole was the kids getting out of that asylum being like, where do they go or why? Mm. Where do they go? I don't really know. Um, anyway, yeah. 
so that's it. So that's still in cinemas. Um, the Dead Don't Die. Um, another one that I got to see last week, which was kind of fun with my sister, and this was a f- uh, the original of this was very um dear to us in our house on VHS, The Lion King. Um, so this is Disney's third kind of like remake having f- yeah we like had the of jungle the year book? well i was gonna say following aladdin oh yeah and dumbo like you know yeah we've now got the lion king and mulan is coming the end of this year or next year and then isn't wow. there something the little mermaid is in the works yes. as well and but they do say young people don't watch old films so i'd say they especially don't watch old animated animated stuff so so disney plus is on the way in november are they just kind of trying to fill it up I guess so. Anyway, yeah. The Lion King, um, at this stage, sure, neither can spoil it or whatever. It's more you would go to it as out of curiosity because everyone knows the story and to just see the the style of animation. Um, but I'm actually going to review Drogheda Cinema. I went to the, oh, <laughs> I went to Drogheda for, for, um, for, for some in a long time, the Arc Cinema Yeah. Um, in the town centre, which was kind of... Is it uh, an IMC or...? Uh, no, sort of independent. It was about 12 quid. What? It was kind of... Okay. Kind of, kind of pricey. And very much like a 3D printer made a cinema and then spat it out. It's pick and mix were a bit hard and crusty. Ah. Um, but nice crowd, re- respectful crowd on a Friday night. Did they um, sing the songs in the film? Yeah, so all of the oh. original songs are, are in it. Um, Can You Feel the Love Tonight is sang during the day, which is a bit of a quirk. And yeah, the the main people who are kind of worth pointing out are... Um, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner do Timon and Pumbaa and they actually add something to the roles everyone else is just um, kind of derivative of the original like John Oliver is not Rowan Atkinson James Earl Jones aka Darth Vader continues to be was he not in the original he's in the original so he's the only voice we carried across and the main thing that everyone is referencing that I completely agree with is that none of the animals can smile because in in the real world animals can't really smile so there's only so much you can buy into what they're saying and how they're feeling they they can't fucking talk yeah but they talk so did they make that decision oh we can't have them smiling but they can't really show true emotion so it's like it can't really do the visual comedy like it it doesn't really do okay. proper slapstick That was comedy. kind of true of the Jungle Book but I suppose that's more of a serious kind of story. Yeah and like to think about what um, And it's John Favreau again John, Yeah Is it? For the Lion King? Yeah, yeah. yeah What was his name? Um, Reeves whoever did um, sorry the Planet of the Apes remakes the Night of the, the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and like they overcame all that and showed a lot of emotion with the animals and that because it was more of a like a drama a sad kind of and thing a and sci-fi a great, kind of where yeah. you could be like and yeah, a phenomenal score and, yeah yeah but it, well, they didn't you know it was a darker kind of film whereas okay, with this yeah. that's sort of a celebratory effectively a musical like um it just sort of falls flat so interesting to see good to revisit the story revisit the memories of the mid to late 90s and talk about the impact that the original Lion King had but um certainly not a patch on the original but if it brings the original story into kids lives yeah. and they end up watching it along with this that's fine like my main memory of the original is seeing it in the cinema and all the kids got crying when um Muf- Mufasa, Mufasa dies because yeah. it was your first kind of like oh shit i imagine it's what people thought when maybe they watched bambi or something where you're like fuck they can die and people die it was a bit yeah, like yeah, yeah yeah so no it's still still impactful for sure um yeah so that's it kind of I don't even know where to recommend it. When it shows up on Disney Plus, stick it on if you've got your your kids or your nephews and nieces. Star Wars, though. Yeah, okay. I know. I'll probably get Disney Plus for you for a while. I'd be surprised if you got Disney Plus. I'd say you'll watch Disney. I have Plus. Amazon Amazon Prime now, because we yeah. 
Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely watch some Star oh, Wars stuff. There's not much on Amazon at the moment. Yeah. Mrs. Maisel. We're making yeah. our way through season two of that. Very good. It's very good. Yeah, so another um, kind of film that's been out for a wee while uh, is called Midsummer. Um, Which you, again, we're not aligned much this month. But No, uh, Nigel didn't see it. I was in Sweden when this film was there. Yeah. But it was only in Swedish. And so I didn't go to that. So oh. I haven't got to catch it in Ireland just yet. Yeah. But tell us about so it. So it's directed by Ari Aster, who did Hereditary. Um, another kind of horror. I looked at the description on IMDb and it says horror mystery thriller. And I went to see it with a friend, Ronan. And it was more like a comedy and I think a big factor in that I'd be curious to see if like it got rave reviews in Ireland and and in England, and I'd be curious to see if it played more like a comedy here because uh, Jack Rayner plays a character in it. So there's a lot of time when uh, you're being like, oh, it's just Jack Rayner being like trippy and weird kind of. So it it lends itself more to humor. Um. So anyway, the story kind of in a nutshell is Florence Poe plays uh, Danny, and it starts off with her frantically trying to contact her sister who's mental illness uh, this really isn't a spoiler because it's in the first like five so it's minutes english language film. english language not yeah. swedish uh danny then rings christian who's played by jack rayner her boyfriend and she's kind of freaking out being like i can't get in touch with my sister it turns out her sister has actually killed herself and killed both her parents so this sends danny into a bit of a spiral she's hanging out a lot more with christian and kind of Christian's group of friends who are played by William Jack- Jackson Harper, who's Josh. You'll know him from uh, The Good Place, if you watch it on Netflix. Will Poulter, uh, who plays Mark. And then we've got Wilhelm uh, Blongren, who plays Pella. And he kind of takes them to this midsummer festival in his hometown in Sweden. So the guys are all like PhD. Um, is it anthropologists when you study like humans and Evolution cultures of, and yeah. all that stuff so they're all working on their like dissertations and phds and stuff so they're like oh it'll be great if we go to this festival it'll be maybe some of us could write our phd on it it only happens every 90 years people kind of reference the wicker man a lot when they're talking about it you can see that a lot of it reminded me of mandy the film which kind of came out did you see mandy yet the Nicolas cage film yeah so there's a whole religious thing with a church and a triangles and all this symbology and that kind of to me more so goes through midsummer um obviously stuff is really foreshadowed so you can see everything coming a mile away you know so and so is going to become this and that's going to happen to this this is obviously where it turns into a horror film and it's more so the friends have been invited not as like guests but more as like bait or subjects I didn't find it in any way scary. There's certain elements that are jumpy, but because you know what's happening, it's no way near for me as good as Hereditary or like well thought seems out. To, yeah, it seems to be pitched as quite a different film to it. But yeah, and it's just kind of like having really. There's nothing that new in this. You can kind of see stuff coming a mile away, and then it gets into that. There's that you'll you'll see if you've seen Hereditary. There's certain. He's certain things in his wheelhouse where he's just like, okay, I must have old women, naked women doing certain stuff. And there's certain bits where you're just like, this is ridiculous. It's not scary. And because it's Jack Rayner involved in it, you're like, this is just hilarious. Like it was, I haven't heard as much laughter at recent comedies I've seen done at this. What kind of, where'd you go and what cinema? Went to um, Swan, Rathmines. Uh, it was nice. It was a good crowd. So a good, smart crowd. Yeah. It's two and a half hours. It's kind of long. Um, so out of five? 
uh, three stars. Florence Poe was very good. People would have seen her in yeah. Lady Macbeth and fighting mm. with my family. So she's and great in it. Coming up in uh, the Little Women remake. So she's brilliant. So three stars. I wouldn't really kind of rush to see it. I was kind of quite disappointed by it. Very good. So um, two things then worth chatting about that are on Netflix at the minute because seemingly this competes as much with uh, everyone's attention these days. Although more and more people are stemming away from watching original features on Netflix. You know, it has to be like, oh, I want to watch the series, I want to watch everything. But yeah, um, you were saying The Irishman, the Scorsese Yeah, I saw the trailer coming, for that. That launched today. So it said in the report, I read that it's August, but then when I looked online, it seems more so like September. But it's going to go be uh, Roma 2 where it's in cinemas. So the Lighthouse will probably have it for a week and then it'll be on Netflix. But then it'll probably get nominated for a rake of Oscars because directed by Martin Scorsese has De Niro, Joe Pesci and Al Pacino. Um, it's the so first time Scorsese's yeah. worked with Al Pacino, seemingly said. And I was like, cool. Trailer looks great. Basically looks like a grown up, older Goodfellas. Hopefully there's a cameo from Ray Liotta in it as well. Yeah. It looks fantastic. Very can't, good. Can't so, wait for that. So we're not 100% sure what the date for that for Netflix Ireland is, but uh, I'm sure you'll hear about it. But uh, my pick, anyway, the, the worth watching on Netflix is a documentary called The Great Hack, which um, is from directors Karim Amir and Yehan Nujam. And it's a documentary basically about Cambridge Analytica and uh, the work that they, they did on the 2016 US presidential election that saw Donald Trump being elected and also the Brexit referendum and the leave.eu campaign and it just talks to revisits the whistle the two whistleblowers who spoke out after that and just the the a professor who is trying to chase down his data who it's is kind of a kind of youngish guy with colored hair. hair yeah, yeah. so yeah. he he doesn't he doesn't do original and much in it there's another um um other person who kind of was a bit more dominant Brittany kaiser is her name so she went she worked on the obama campaign in 2008 and then just her ideology shifted a little bit and then over the within the three or four year cycle she ended up working for ted cruz and different republican um uh people through her work with cambridge analytica and then obviously working with trump it's just the main thing why it's worth noting is that there is a phenomenal sequence about 10 minutes in that just represents the the data that sort of hangs around us if you know what i mean like the visually the visual effects of it as you walk down the street and use your phone you tap your your credit card and then you you know you like something on instagram and how that's all linked together and if before seeing this you hadn't kind of paid a bit more attention to gdpr and cookie policies and what's actually in the terms and conditions if you still have a facebook account that you use and if you leave it fairly open um, then after you see this, you will definitely be paying much more attention to it. But seemingly it stemmed from all of these, like there was these things back in 2015, 2016, where Cambridge Analytica got people to fill in these um, surveys where it was that you got a personality test and I'd do it and then you'd tell your friends about it. But the way it was set up... Which friend's character are you? Yeah, exactly. And so it'd be like, are you more likely to do this? What do you think? Do you, are you anxious about this? Do you do this? Do you do this? And so they took all that data. The way it was set up by Facebook meant getting into a nice digital marketing kind of element here but every one of your friends the Cambridge Analytica app actually somehow had the credentials to access all of their contact information and get information on them simply by you authorizing the app to access your data it also opened up the friends so it was a flaw on Facebook and remember Zuckerberg went in front of the the 
the Senate committee and all that and looked a bit like data from Star Trek. Yeah. Um, have you seen well, anything about the new Star Trek Picard? Picard? Yeah. But is it the original Picard? It's, it's the original, yeah, Jean-Luc Picard uh, playing okay. Patrick Stewart and all yeah. that. And yeah, it looks okay. kind of cool. A lot of the original cast are in it. Anyway, tangent. Uh, the Great Hack, it is, it's like, it ends up being maybe a three and a half kind of film, but there's elements of it that uh, are brilliant in the first kind of 10 minutes. And definitely, even if you, don't do much on this definitely look at your privacy settings pay attention to those cookie things i keep thinking i deleted my facebook account about a year ago because didn't really need i'm on the verge of getting rid of twitter now as well don't really care cool you're still using whatsapp that's actually the probably the worst when when we did (laughs) when we discovered that facebook has actually been harvesting all that data and all the encryption that they claim that it's a closed messaging system and then when it turns out oh no actually we've been like people do get paranoid that saying like I could message you and say oh, I'm thinking of buying this you know shirt or something yeah, and then you see a Google ad for the day oh, or two yeah. later and everyone's like <gasps> but everybody um, but Instagram listens as well a friend was telling me about a restaurant recommendation and then I got an Instagram ad for so whatever and everybody's mad to do the gene tests and does anyone read what to do with that or where to store that yeah it gets added to commercial databases so if I want I've to go listened, and, and yeah. track um like someone and pay money to find mm. my actual real life biological father or something like that and i've listened to if loads you of submit your yeah, stuff, yeah podcasts in america where basically the cops just go and access all of these yeah data banks it's a gray everything. it's a it's a big gray area within the eu so um stay within the eu i'm not spitting in any cup anyway um yeah. another netflix film so would you recommend it kind of yeah i would for me but like i is it I, 90 I think minutes or two hours it. it's weighty enough i think it's nearly one an hour 45 an hour 50 okay um, so it's long enough for a feature on netflix now if they cut it into six half hours but i watched it in three parts as i often do with documentaries because yeah. i just do it like that yeah and i was watching it at the same time i was watching a bbc series called years and years um which where emma thompson plays a kind of it looks ahead into the future this is a dystopian kind of future um in the in only the kind of future oh, well basically it's black mirror meets uh, eastenders is what i've kind of built it with loads of people um best tv show i've watched in a long time um so i was watching it while i was watching that and the two just kind of felt completely perfectly aligned mm. in terms of where technology is bringing us but okay anyway yeah so my netflix pick or it's called the great hack by the way in case anyone didn't there you go uh, it's not about Eamon dunphy and the, my Netflix one it's not really a recommendation it's like it's a big film that Netflix launched got a big hullabaloo about it uh, it's called Always Be My Maybe uh, I think it broke some records for the number of views they had and it's kind of getting similar train to like um, crazy rich Asians so it stars Ali Wong who people might know more so as a comedian and Randall Park who would have played Danny Chung in Veep uh, so Ali Wong is Sasha and Marcus are they're kind of next door neighbors in San Francisco and Ali uh, Sasha's parents aren't really around so she spends loads of times with Marcus and her parents and then Marcus's mom dies quite early in their friendship or you know kind of when they're like 15 or 16 so uh, they hook up uh, Sasha and Marcus it's really weird because they're friends and then she just leaves and goes somewhere else. Then it kind of flash forwards 10 years and she's uh, like world renowned chef. 
I think someone said to me once that women in films are always either like cooks or bakers or they're never in really like threatening powerful jobs, especially in romantic comedies. They're always like bakers or cooks or chefs. Or PAs or, ba- or journalists. Yeah. yeah. So um, she's kind of this world famous uh, restaurateur and she's going out with Daniel De Kim. It's a real name. So he would have played uh, Jin Su in Lost. I was watching it for ages being like, what is he in? And I was like, oh, Lost. Yeah. Still haven't gone back and watched last. And Hawaii Five O. One day. Uh, yeah. So then, of course, fate would have it. That I went to the evening. Yeah, in the Michael Giacchino's score, where in the concert hall here in Dublin, they played scenes from Lost and did like the score. For did it. they have it's clips? Fantastic. Yeah, for a lot of the oh, sequences, okay. they did like the, they just played the opening ten minutes of it and did the music along to it, and it was actually amazing. Like that opening. Yeah. Even just watching the pilot as a standalone pilot that they never thought would actually be made into a series, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. My favorite TV show. So then Fiat kind of cool, you know, works so that uh, Sasha is coming back to San Francisco and opening up her own restaurant. Marcus is kind of stead put. He's become a bit of a waster stoner. He still plays in the same band he did when he was younger. Uh, still works with his dad installing like aircon units. So then they kind Where's of bump. Set? Sorry, San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. America. Uh, so they go. They kind of rekindle a relationship and what you would expect happens it's good fun uh ali wong's very funny in it and there's good chemistry between them uh there's a ridiculous cameo in it that i had no idea about I'm not going to spoil it you would nearly watch it that happens about 30 to 40 minutes in you could just watch it to see that and then turn it off if you didn't like it but it is bananas cool yeah so, so i'd give it a, a three it's the kind of thing you watch on a friday evening yeah, with a takeaway and easily presented to you so that'll be yeah. have been seen by probably a thousand times more than than the next film i'm going to reference uh so we're going to look ahead then to a couple of films coming our way um throughout the month of august always a quiet month um i don't know if you get the ifi booklet uh the i get an email to me yeah yeah a very light one for the month of august a very light uh, schedule Should coming our corners way. to build the new screen one yeah i guess so much much needed looking forward to it to anyone who doesn't know they are kind of fundraising and everything and getting grant funding and private money and blah 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 we to should renovate club together and one. get a, a chair named spool yeah it's sort of a, you only get it for about a year and if you want it to be a corporate name not a human uh it's like about five six hundred oh okay yeah barely cover the we need to get a sponsor maybe so yeah. anyway but um the film that i'm looking forward to which is on the way to the ifi and other cinemas i imagine on august 23rd is called pain and glory so it's from one of my favorite directorial directors pedro almodovar um antonio banderas effectively plays almodovar in this his 21st film and it's just a bit of a kind of portrait of him uh so I'll read you a little bit. So it's a career best performance from Banderas as Salvador Malo, a creatively blo- blocked film director consumed by memories of an impoverished yet idyllic childhood spent with his mother, Jacinta, played by Penelope Cruz. So this is Jacinta. like... Yeah. So this is effectively like... Amodovar's always had mother complexes. He like... Because he, portray, he portrays women so well on, on screen. Um, So I guess... I just can't wait to see it in a... In, in just... So just look forward to it. Anyway, August 23rd. You kind of did your thesis on Almodovar. I did a a good part of a couple of different modules and different projects and stuff Mm -hmm. on him. So yeah, looking forward to 
to what we've got there. My pick is much, much less highbrow. It, uh, it, by the time you hear this podcast, it's probably out, so you can rush to your cinema and see it. It's the fa- I was going to call it Hobbs and Shaw, but now it's getting bandied as the Fast and Furious present Hobbs and Shaw. So you'll, if you've been to the cinema in the last four months, you've probably seen a trailer for this. Uh, Jason Statham and The Rock. It kind of hit it off in the last Fast and the Furious film. Uh, it was the best part of the film. They had great chemistry. It's kind of funny. Uh, the Rock hates Vin Diesel, so they were probably like to anyone. Yeah, the yeah. Rock, If you revisit that film now, you'll note The Rock and Vin Diesel share no screen time or scenes. Yeah. They've they cut around it. So, uh, so they obviously went to him, and The Rock is the most bankable star in the world at the moment. We're like, how about you do your own film? And it's yeah, cool. Idris Elba's the bad guy in it. Uh, so it's a pretty solid cast. Looks ridiculous. Good fun. Yeah. Um, so it's A couple out. of early-ish reviews in and it's getting, because everyone looks at Rotten Tomatoes, 71% fresh. Fresh. So pretty, it's pretty good. That's solid enough. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of it. To round out the... Nigel opened with a clip uh, from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and we're going to close with a clip from The Hateful Eight. Quentin Tarantino's last film and what connects the two of them is that Kurt Russell is speaking in both of them. You know what this is, Tramp. Hmm? It's a letter from Lincoln. Letter from Lincoln to him. Hmm. They shared a correspondence during the war. They was pen pals. And this is just one of the letters. The Lincoln what? The letter from Abraham Lincoln. President Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Weren't you pen pal? With the president? Not him. Black fella in the stable. The nigger? In the stable has a letter from Abraham Lincoln? Yeah. The nigger in the stable has a letter from Abraham Lincoln. John Ruth says you got a Lincoln letter. I told you, jackass, go hee-haw someplace else. You got a letter from Abraham Lincoln? Yes. The Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States? Yes. Of America? Yes. Can I see that Lincoln letter? I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. <laughs>